This is TV8 My Dinner, a podcast about entertainment issues brought to you by DarkCrazy.com. Thanks for taking him, Seth. No, no problem. I can't imagine what you're going to do without each other next year. Evan told me you didn't get into Dartmouth. You going to miss each other? No, I don't miss each other. Yeah, I'm going to cry myself to sleep every night. Me too. When I'm out partying. Go to school, boys. Bye. Take care of those. You're listening to TV Ate My Dinner. My name is Sean, and with me here is Brooks. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Good morning. How are you? Howdy. Uh, buenas tardes. Buenas for our tardes. Hispanic friends. Konnichiwa. I don't know if I said that right. Aloha. Yeah, aloha works, because that's hello and goodbye, right? So That's right. So I'll see you later. So we, I'm sure we have fans all over the the island nations of the world i hope after last week's episode we have fans period <laughs> i'd be happy to have a fan <laughs> thank you for returning to the program after last last episode talking about junk yeah we have not gotten any feedback i just want to point that out i i know that the average person isn't going to take time out of the day to email anyone we, we will take your silence as a scent in all our topics it's not likely they're going to type out, you know, hey, I find your podcast mildly amusing when nothing else is on. <laughs> I listen to you at work when I'm bored. Yeah, and I've already gone through all my other ones. <laughs> Sometimes. Thanks for giving me something to listen to when I'm tired of my CDs for a minute. This is something that gets me uh, wanting to listen to music again when I get tired of music. <laughs> Thanks for making me love my music collection again. <laughs> I forgot how much, how nice it was to sit in total silence. So anyway, tonight... We don't really have a prepared subject because uh, we're lacking Greg unexpectedly. We also feel like after last week, we may have a week off. It may take some time for people to come back. So we're going to we're going to decompress this. This is our decompression episode. There's no point blowing it all on a topic. I don't know how comfortable I am with the people that, that are coming back. You know, these, these might be some creepy people. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we're, we're getting to know you again, America. <laughs> Like, are they going to talk about junk again? What are they going to do now? Now now we don't know what to expect. At the end of this episode, we may kill off a main character. Well, we've already killed Greg off in, inadvertently. Yeah, maybe his, well, his unexpected absence, as you call Here, it. Here's what happened. We scheduled to record tonight without thinking that it was Valentine's Day. And Greg's a married guy, and uh, I'm sure... As the day came, he's like, whoa, I've, I've got to go out to dinner with my wife instead of talking about <laughs> Sorry, junk. guys. I have a life. I already gave you 59 minutes of junk talk that I'm going to have to explain to my wife. I can't <laughs> yeah. follow that with absenteeism on Valentine's Day. I had the up the carrots on the earrings just for that alone. <laughs> so anyways, we'll just talk about some stuff. I finally saw Superbad. That's a good movie. I thought it was okay. It it had some cute, heartfelt kind of moments, but you know, again, I don't I don't see what the fuss is about. I don't want to be because I'm an open minded guy. I'm not Mister. It has to be a certain kind of movie or whatever. But everyone acted like it was super awesome, and it it was it was fun. It's really funny. But then again, I will say that I saw the extended DVD version, and yeah. it dragged. You gotta not do that. I really I don't ever do those anymore. I, I didn't know you had a choice. I just Netflixed it, and that's what they sent me. I'm starting to think those are a real bad idea, because when I saw the 40-year-old version, it was the same way on DVD, and it was like over two hours long. 
and was literally like, uh, we got to move this on. I got to get on with my life. Does he or doesn't he? Come on now. He's Steve Carell. He can make something happen. That guy is funny. I mean, not Steve Carell's obviously very funny, but I'm talking about the the guy, Seth something. What What's his name? The guy that does. Well, Seth, Seth Rogen is the guy who, who spearheaded that movie. Yeah, I think that he's super funny, but I think that editing is essential for him because these extended mixes, they, they're boring. I mean, they really are. They they lack they lack timing and punch. And you can tell that so much of it's improved. I mean, it's obvious in the movie, and that gives it its, its charm in some ways. But when you put in the extra scenes, it's almost like they're putting in things that, that aren't necessary at all for the story just because they liked that particular joke. That made them laugh. Like that was but funny. When you're watching it, not knowing these guys, you're just like, this part's kind of boring. And I, and I, for one, know like we cut out a lot of gold on this show. Oh yeah, you know, <laughs> hard to imagine because maybe I mean, all of it. <laughs> they're like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the good parts all end up on the floor. People are like, well, why would you cut out the good parts and keep what yeah. you kept? I don't get that at all. I would like to to get to know your process a little better. I find <laughs> yeah. it interesting your editorial decisions. But I, I get that, though, you know, and I think that, that that's totally true. And that's why improv has always been something in general that never really appealed to me. It was always something like if you see these shows, these improv shows. Oh, I can't I can't that, handle improv shows. But every actor I've ever known loves them. They're like, oh, it's so great. It's like, well, it is. It's a talent. No doubt. No doubt at all. But it's raw. It's not ready for the audience. You know, a guy who can just be funny for no reason. That's cool. But, you know, there's a reason we have editing. Oh, yes. I'm a big fan of editing. And editing, to me, is the unsung art. Absolutely. You know why? Because if something is edited properly, you will never know that it was edited. Their very job is to make themselves invisible. Yeah. That's what's kind of sad about it. No one ever says, this movie is so well edited. Because they don't know. It's it's fluid. It's it's perfect. You know, and you really can cut out a lot of, a lot of really poor performances. You can tweak an already good performance. You can make people look good who aren't good, but with poor editing, you can ruin a performance because anything that's left too open-ended is not going to work out that well. I think these extended DVDs kind of show that. They're like, oh, well, we had to we had to tailor it to a film audience, but now, oh, we t- we've already talked about like Peter Jackson and, yeah, and his, his, his director's cuts that I'm still – yeah, I got the King Kong's director's cut like six months ago. I'm still watching it. Yeah. And I don't mean in pieces. I mean, it's still playing. Yeah, it's just been running. <laughs> they keep, because every time I'm almost done, he comes in and adds in 10 more minutes of footage. He actually comes to my house and upgrades it. Yeah. Like, look, there's more special effects now. I was like, geez, how much more of a giant monkey movie? Do you need? But I, the extended mixes are fun in some ways, but I don't think it works just mainly for this particular set of people, this creative team. I don't know if it's because of the improv or what, but but to me, they 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 bring the movie down to a point where I'm not seeing what other people are talking about. People say, "Oh, this movie's genius." I'm like, you know, I think Napoleon Dynamite's genius. I just this to me is no Napoleon Dynamite, just like the Dan Quayle thing. It's like, you sir. Or no Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, I remember that. What was weird, that was so so far before that movie. But I think it's not just that. It's Napoleon Dynamite is a good example because it is cut together well. Oh, extremely well. And Napoleon Dynamite is is brilliant because there's a moment Napoleon Dynamite had an ending that they liked that was a big deal, and they cut it. 
and they put it in the credits, you know, while you're walking out of the theater, and then you got to stand there and watch it. But it ends so well, and then they have this ending, you know, where like his brother's getting married and he comes in on a horse and all this nonsense. Yeah, that's ridiculous. But that's not like they don't leave that in the cut of the movie. Like if you mm-hmm. walked out of the theater as soon as the credits started, you know, that was the movie. But they they spent so much time on it. They're like, well, let's put this in here, you know, for people who like an aside. During the credits, it's almost like a fantasy scene because it's so unrealistic compared to the yeah. the super realism. Almost it doesn't of the rest happen of it. anywhere within the framework of the story they told. Doesn't make sense. So it's it's really like they kind of they kind of got hip to that. Like this movie's so well cut together. Let's not end it on like this really long, like ten minutes long. Yeah, this final scene that is fairly pointless to the rest of the movie. A movie that is already pretty pointless. This this scene is irrelevant to it. And I like that because it seems like, you know, with all these DVDs where they have the uncut DVDs and they add back in everything, you're getting you're you're losing that that gold where so they're forced to cut something and make it better. You're losing that that feeling of, of wanting more because there is no more. You can you're, you're not left wanting anything. They give it all to you. And you were like, uh, well, actually, I got to go. Like, if you were hanging out with Robin Williams the first 10 minutes, you'd be like, this is awesome. Robin Williams, he's so great. Yeah. And then 50 minutes into him doing his little voices and stuff, like, Robin, I got, you know, stuff I got to get to. You're not going to work tomorrow, you know, whatever. Yeah. And like, the next day when you're still trying to sleep and he's in your room, just go, like, a, I wish Robin would leave. It's like that. I can say from personal experience that these movies are just like having Robin Williams in your house. I'm starting night. to feel a little a little old, I guess, because the movie is so vulgar language-wise and stuff that it, it, it numbs you for after a while. You're like, this isn't cleverly done. It's not funny. You know, you can be funny and be vulgar. I mean, look at Dave Chappelle. He, when he curses, it's really funny. Because he knows well, how to do it, you know? Yeah, he's a master of the cadence of it. But these guys are just just going off and constantly to the point where you're like, yeah, it's kind of losing its power for me. It sounds like you're doing it just to do it. And maybe they're like, they'll, they'll say, well, this is how we actually talk. I'm like, well, that's fine, but that doesn't make it funny. You know, I, I hear that stuff all the time. But well, that's how I actually talk too, but here we are doing a show and I'm not doing that, you know, because we're, we're, we're now tailoring what we say to an audience. We're trying to cut down to the stuff we find entertaining and not just talking like we talk. I, I embarrass myself at how I talk sometimes, but I don't do it here. I know that movie's really big with, with younger kids, so it kind of makes me feel like I'm old or something because I'm not getting it. I mean, I thought it was cute. I get that. But I didn't see what set it apart and made it special from other movies. I really didn't. I mean, to me, it's it's not much different than something like, remember that movie, uh, The Stoned Age? Yeah. It really wasn't that much different than that. It's about the same basic story. Well, they all have the basic story. Like, Stone Age wasn't one of the only ones. The, you know, into a to a lesser degree, so is American Pie. These movies will never go out of style. These movies about these young kids going through all these shenanigans trying to get laid. It's sort of, it's a genre in, of an, you know, into itself because that's always going to happen. You're always going to have real young kids that are, that are wanting that. And the rest of us, you know, we get to an age where we just give up. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I mean, get it so much that we don't need it anymore. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> but I, I sort of get that. Like, I went to see Juno with a, a bunch of friends of mine, and I really enjoyed it. it. It's pretty snappy. 
and we went to see it with a bunch of younger like we didn't go with them but i mean in the in the movie like in the theater there's a bunch of young kids who all seem delighted by it yeah and i enjoyed it but a lot of the people that i went to see it came out with you know a bad feeling about it because juno as a character is kind of annoying because she's so snappy and she's so quippy and she's so quick with a little remark and sarcastic about everything. And I like it because in the movie, I don't feel like she's portrayed as being that's the normal thing. Like she's it sort of comes out that she's kind of an oddball for being that way. And she's not smarter than her parents and she's not like more interesting and cooler than normal people like the other characters, I think, are well represented. So I, I accept that from the character and from the movie because I feel like the movie wasn't there to say this is how you're supposed to act because this world's stupid and uncool but the people I was with got exactly that feeling from it yeah so I think that is sort of the you know these movies are made for the younger generation I guess everyone's looking for something to define them when you're at that age and to identify yourself with so that you can say this is this is how I look at the world other people do too that's cool and we're, this is but, what makes us better. I think, especially when you're younger, you're not just looking to be defined. You're looking to be distinguished. And these kind of movies that, that sort of portray young people as being, you know, cool and wise and, and more hip to the world than their parents or their, their peers or their, their elders. You know, that's always going to appeal to younger people because they want to feel that way. You know, the breakfast club sort of feeling. Where they're all in a room and nobody gets us, that John Hughes sort of feeling. Lord, I didn't even like that when I was young. I mean, I like that movie, but I I didn't relate to that even when I was a kid. I don't think I related to it because one thing that The Breakfast Club and a lot of these high school and teen movies do that I don't understand is they sort of break. I think, I think we've talked about this before, but they sort of tend to marginalize people in those positions because they break them down into categories that they act like are absolute. You're a jock. You're a nerd. You're a freak. And that's kind of cool in The Breakfast Club because they're trying. I like how in that particular movie, they're, yeah, they, they start that way and then they, at the end, they're like, see, we're all the same. We're all the same. Now let's go behind each other's backs and talk about each other. But in The Breakfast Club, it's sort of forgivable because it's sort of one of the first movies to do that, for one thing. And also, they're deliberately playing with those kind of archetypes. He even writes their little manifesto at the end and says, you know, we got together and we were a jock and a nerd and a brain and a whatever they all are, yeah. all are. We are The Breakfast Club. And then he runs off and they're playing that song that don't you forget about me and Judd Nelson's holding his fist in the air and he's got the glove with no fingers on it a complete 80s the, the stonewashed jeans jacket <laughs> very nice I just made out with the cheerleader that look I got a little upset and super bad I mean I know it's I guess parts of it are, are made to look like they're genuinely touching and they're like yeah this this is a human moment you know there's there is that element to the movie which I found refreshing but then at the same time Really, these guys end up with the girls at the end, especially the the bigger dude. Really? Well, that's the fantasy. Really? That's not my high school experience. (laughs) Yeah, but it was the high school fantasy. These movies do feed the fantasy. Well, I don't like that. It bothers me. Well, not now, because now we're far enough away from it to realize that that doesn't happen. The the perspective is given to these guys to these kids who are still in high school that there's hope we're, we've gotten old enough to realize that's crap 
That'll never happen. Well, what they should have done is they should have said, no, that's not going to happen in high school. Wait till you get to college and, and everything changes. That's how they should have portrayed it. Not that, I don't know, whatever. I guess that's true. I'm glad that I'm glad the little guys get along with their girlfriends at the end. But I thought it was very strange how he kept looking back at his other friend as they were separated at the end, walking away from each other, kept looking back over and over. And they showed it for extended moments of him looking back like, okay, we get it. What are you trying to say here? Is there something going on that we don't know about? <laughs> well, There's I think this underlying tone throughout the, the movie. I'm a little curious. The thing about it, the fantasy element being the girls, but the realistic element is the reason that they keep dragging that out is because that's those two are, you know, are growing apart. That's what the movie's really about. The popcorn of the movie to make people sit through it so that you don't have to be bummed out about it is that they have these funny antics happen and then they end up with girls that they're probably are not going to stay with pretty much after that that mall scene is over yeah and girls are you know they're nice at first when it comes to stuff like that but she's not going to take that guy to parties well here's the thing you know that so you know the plain white tees the yeah. band yeah. And that guy did that song, that, that that Delilah song. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that song. Uh, I know it's going to upset our younger fans. I'm sorry, but it's mainly just because of that one line, that, that part where he says, um, I'll be making history. I mean, that, that's, that's a bold statement. Well, that's what you write in high school. That's not what I wrote in high school, man. I did. I wrote that song in high school. <laughs> well, you should be getting some, some money, right? <laughs> well, that's why I brought it up. I'm still mad. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but... Uh, we're always referencing our sketches and laughing like like it matters to people. But it reminds me of we did a sketch called As If. Yeah, it is. <laughs> where, where where you're doing the thing and you're you're on TV and you're telling the girl, remember how we, we were going to go to the prom, but you didn't go to the prom with me and blah, blah, blah. Now I'm all famous and, and now you're going to be sorry, but I still want you. And then you cut away to the girl in the her, her living room and she's all fat and she's drinking Red Bull. She's drinking like Red Dog and eating popcorn. She's like, as if, like she, you're still not good enough. Yeah, and, and I that's think that true is life, true. Probably, yeah. I think that is true because, and then there's kind of. I was just seeing a thing where the dude from the plain white tees is taking that girl, the the real life Delilah girl, to the Grammys now, and not because they're together, but she's apparently some kind of some kind of athlete. I can't remember what. Okay, like a and, tennis player or something? Not that, because it's some nothing sport. Sorry. Well, now we're going to – it's going to end up being something, and I just I just blew it. I just said some nothing sport, like women's basketball. You know, what? <laughs> who cares? They got good fundamentals. <laughs> so, but – and I heard on the story where they were talking about it that she was going with him because she wanted to promote more interest in her sport. Man, that's weird. And, like, and she's not going because he's making history. She's not going because he's a rock star still, even now. It's sort of an as-if situation. Like, well, yeah, now that you made me famous with that song, I'll go with you to the Grammys. It kind of makes it sad for him because it's like you're big and famous now, and it's still your dream to go out with this girl who's like a professional women's shot putter or some something. Yeah, what he should be doing is like the what they did in that – that movie, God, why can't I ever remember anything? Though it's Stardust, <laughs> Stardust. He he should yeah. invite her, but not have her come with him. Have her have to sit in the audience and watch as he gets his Inv- big award. Invite her to the wedding when he marries a living star. Yeah. See, if you can't be big at that point and just say, you know, 
I wish you well. <laughs> then forget I mean, it. Truthfully, though, when I left high school, I left high school. I, I didn't have like these delayed fantasies of going back and becoming popular with the people that were in high school. I, I, I've never even talked to any of those people ever again. So it's weird to me to think that this guy would be actually become a star hanging out with actual probably real celebrities and stuff. And yet he feels he still feels attached to this person. He who, still feels like he's going to get one over. Or worse yet, impress her to the point where she'll have him. And nothing against this guy. Like I'm now. Now we sound like we're being jerks to this guy, and I'm yeah. not because I get it. You, you're strung out, heart sick over a girl. That's gonna make you be silly and dopey and whatever. And I guess being a rock star doesn't make that any different. But what I'm what I'm saying is, at some point you get over it, especially for the people who didn't think you were cool. Because I'm mystified by people who don't think I, I'm cool. I really am. Like, I never think, what's wrong with me? I think, what's wrong with them? I'm like, I'm completely awesome. People are like, this explains a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I suddenly understand a lot about what's well, happening on the show. I have a very healthy self-image when it comes to that sort of thing. And I don't have a lot of patience for people who don't seem to recognize my awesomeness. So I don't really harbor that fantasy that much. Although, you know, you you want those people to come back and recognize here's a here's an example yesterday i'm at the food lion and i'm having a problem with my debit card where the magnetic strip is sort of like scratched off and it never swipes and half the time i go places they gotta run it as credit but at food lion they won't do it like i she swipes it like eight times like well you can run it as credit if you want and she's like no and she calls the manager over and the manager starts trying to swipe it over and over and over and putting the lotion on it put it in, in the, ba- the plastic bag yeah they got like lotion they're like maybe like maybe we should exfoliate i've never heard the, of that debit card that's kind of weird maybe yeah maybe a little moisturizer like i've never understood that there was a moisture activated element to the debit card so he's doing it Beep. Cancel, blip, cancel, blip, cancel over and over and over and over. And the line is getting longer and longer and longer behind me. And I'm like, look, I have staked my claim. My $90 of groceries are already in the basket. If you don't take the card, I'm leaving it there. So so my my position is secure. And over and over, blip, 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 over and over. And I'm making a face like, geez, come on, run it as credit guy. But I'm not going to tell him because clearly, clearly they don't want to. I don't know why. Is that I don't know if it's a scam where people use a messed up debit card, run it as credit, and then they don't have any money in the bank or some craziness. I don't understand why they won't run it. But while I'm making this face, I look over at the guy and I realize he's making the face at me. He's glaring at me every time. Bleep, bleep, like he's winning the argument. Like, see, your card's messed up. Your card's messed up. Like, okay, whatever. Let's move on. But bleep, 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 bleep. And finally, he gets it to go. And I'm like, my God, I hope I mess up typing in my pen number. <laughs> I hope this becomes a Pyrrhic victory for you, sir. And I punch it in and process the thing. And he looks at me. He gets my card back. He's like, you need to get a new card. And walks off like like he proved something. And, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I'll get a new card. I'm going to break in into Publix, though. And then as soon as I thought that, I'm like, what do they care? Yeah. <laughs> See, that's the other end of the fantasy. You're out there somewhere hoping, like, one day people go, remember that guy who used to come here all the time for groceries? Whatever happened to him? Like, oh, so-and-so was a jerk and he never came back. That doesn't happen. They don't care. No. 
and you think if Food Lion doesn't care about your patronage, then certainly some girl doesn't care if she doesn't like you and then you get famous. There's never going to be a moment where they look back and go, oh, that's my greatest regret. I could have been with the guy from Play White Tees, the guy who's famous but still crying over me. Uh, there's something sweet about that. It's totally sweet. I'm not saying it's not. I think you and I are disagreeing about different things on this song. You're, you're talking about the sentiment of the girl. I'm talking about... I'll be making history. That's what bothers me. It doesn't bother me that he's hung up over the girl. But what I'm saying is the same thing. It's like he's out there going, you know, I'll be making history because, and you'll be sorry, is what that line means. You think so? Yeah. Why would you say that to someone? I think that uh, you have to feel like you have some greater destiny when you feel like the thing that you want is unattainable to you. You have to, and I do identify with this. Uh, you do start feeling like, well, of course, those people don't embrace me because I'm bigger than them. They don't understand my genius. They don't, you know, it's not just girl rejection that people run into. People get rejected all the time in all kinds of different yeah. ways. No, no doubt. I've been rejected in every way. I can't even think of a way I've not been rejected. <laughs> I have been rejected. I've been made up new ways. I can't think of a time where someone has not rejected me, where someone has actually wanted any product that I've made or script that I've written or song that I've written. I can't think of a single time anyone's ever liked true. anything I've ever done in my life. So I, I, I fully understand that. <laughs> you know, so I, I accept that that statement as not being at all hyperbolic, because I, I identify with it one hundred percent. And I don't think that's a sad thing, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that everybody feels that way because it seems like, especially if For everyone that tries a lot of stuff. Well, yeah, but some people who just try the same thing over and over again still feel the same way. Some people feel that way just about girls. Some people feel that way like us, that we we're putting things out there and, and we don't feel like we get any. Not even that people don't like it. it it's a victory for us if we feel like someone saw it. Because I remember getting feedback you know, from some of the stuff that we've done. People would write in and say, these guys suck. And we'd be like, hey, yeah. someone listened. <laughs> it's just excited. They think we suck. It's great. Because it, it's so – rejection at least means that you were noticed. It means if someone considered you as an option, even even if they, they opted out. But I think when you start, you start indulging that, well, I'm going to move on to bigger and better things, I guess that's what you have to do. But I don't think that's what anyone ever really ends up doing. I think you only become happy when you accept that it doesn't matter if you become better than the people who reject you, it just matters that you find people that, that you or, or a thing or whatever it is about your life that makes you happy that, that you can achieve like this guy. It's, it's kind of sad. This song that he went off and became a rock star, but then his most popular song is about this girl. I guess I see. I, I didn't know that real life story about him bringing her to the Grammys, but I, I'd never heard that. I don't think she's a shot putter. <laughs> I might have dreamed that whole story. Sometimes I make things up completely in my own mind. Like, I believe them also. I was uh, having a conversation the other night with a girl about a place like, yeah, I used to like this place. And then the people who owned it divorced and it just it just closed down. It was terrible. And she's like, that's not what happened at all. Like, their lease didn't get renewed and they moved to Kentucky. <laughs> They're still together. Like, oh, why did I think that? <laughs> like, 
How much disinformation are we just spoon-fed on a regular basis? And because it's not important, we just believe it. You could tell people any unimportant thing and it would just write itself into their consciousness because they have no reason to believe it or disbelieve it. They don't care. But like at the end of Superbad or throughout it, I think it was nice, I guess, that they were trying to show that the guys on the surface were all talking about using these girls, getting them drunk and doing bad things with them. But then deep down, they were actually emotionally wanting to be. But at the same time, I think it would have been better had they not been planning on getting the girls drunk in the first place. <laughs> I'm tired of seeing this portrayal over and over again. This is how you do it. This is what happens. Well, that's the genre. The rule of the genre says you do that. And then they want to they don't want to look like jerks, so then they have to write them as sensitive guys, but at the same time, I think maybe because the the people who write and make these movies probably were those kids in high school. Oh, I'm sure of it. So they don't want to portray it just as another zany sex comedy. Like, let's get some chicks drunk and get it on because they want their real stories told. But if they just told their real stories, they wouldn't be funny to people. They wouldn't be fun. So they kind of spice them up. And then it's it sort of becomes contradictory. I don't think it's a bad thing in Superbad because – Taken as an entertainment, I really enjoyed Superbad. I really like all those guys. I think they're all really funny. And I don't I don't think it's a bad movie at all. But I think that's the trend. I think that's where that comes from. Because they want to tell... I think I get annoyed with Kevin Smith movies that same way, where they're just constantly being offensive and stupid and crude and vulgar and just patently pandering to the audience to, to get a laugh. And then he tries to make these sort of emotional asides where they actually start crying or screaming at each other, or having a real moment or argument. You're like, what is going on? I don't, I don't buy it. I don't think Superbad was, was all that as far as, like, I don't think it was as bad as that because they didn't dwell on it. No, it was nowhere near Kevin Smith's territory. Kevin Smith's movies are sort of manic depressive. Don't get me wrong. I did enjoy Superbad. I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I liked it. Well, I enjoy Kevin Smith movies. Uh this is where we part ways. I, I, I criticize Kevin Smith a lot, but it, I think sometimes just because I'm always – people are always telling me I look like him. That happened to me just the other night. I was playing pool with with these guys, and one of the guys was like, you know who you remind me of? And Dane, my buddy, just started laughing. He's like, go ahead and say it. <laughs> like didn't even have – like the guy – and what was sad is he couldn't remember. And he was like, uh, that guy in those movies, uh, Kevin. <laughs> like, God – yeah, that's right. You don't look like him that much. I don't think so either. Uh, but it happens all the time. I don't know, man. And then this guy, like the girl that he was with came up. She said, what are you saying? And he's like, oh, I think he looked like Kevin Smith. And then she's like, oh, yeah. And then she comes up and she's all like, yeah, he's like that guy. You know, you're a man of few words. <laughs> but when you say something... It really matters. Ah. So you obviously haven't met. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Few words, my rear. Oh my god! I, I guess it, because I'm a man of extremes. Getting a few words in, maybe. When when I, I when I'm talking and I, and I'm having fun, like I talk constantly. Or when I'm when I have people at work, I talk constantly to them because they can't leave. <laughs> I often feel at work like they wish I would stop talking, but they have to sit there and keep working. But uh, 
But in social situations like that, where I'm out at a bar or something, especially if we're playing pool and I don't know the people, I don't. Because another thing, it's too the ambient noise is too loud. I don't like to repeat myself, and I don't like it when people can't hear. It's actually if I'm quiet, it's because I'm saving it because I feel like I'd be wasting my my awesome words. Good material. Yeah, that's the truth. My friend Alicia used to say it's easier to meet new people than it is to come up with new material. And that's the truth. It's like, here, I just I just laid out a few good ones and they didn't even hear. That's the worst when you tell a joke and people are like, what? The worst thing is when you tell a bad joke and people don't hear you and then you have to repeat it after you realize it's lame. It's best not to. <laughs> just go, never mind. Well, the, well, half the time it's because they, they heard it but didn't get it. And then I have to explain why I thought it was funny. And deconstruct it to the point where, yeah, I understand. I don't know what's funny. Kind of like, kind of like right now, a little bit. Kind of like the relationship I've developed with the audience of this show. I guess I just like my comedies stupid. You know, I like Anchorman more than I like Superbad. You know what I mean? I get that. There is no emotional resonance in it at all, but it's not trying to. When you try to put that stuff in, it, it's tricky territory. I get that with Wilson will. You know, he'll make fun of, like, I like Joe Dirt, and he hates Joe Dirt, because Joe Dirt tries to have that sort of emotional tie-in where you're supposed to care. Like, Joe Dirt somehow becomes human halfway through, and he doesn't like that. But he loves Run, Ronnie, Run, which is the same kind of fun, rednecky kind of movie. But it's just those guys from Mr. Show, so they don't try to make they don't try to make the characters human at all. Like, they just try to be funny. And I can I appreciate that. I don't mind it when they try because you can tell it's a little bit of themselves coming out. Well, if done properly, it, it's it's it can be great. You know, I actually thought Napoleon Dynamite was a, a very human movie. I thought I think it's touching because they don't ever stop to try to be emotionally important, but because they they so honestly portray this this misfit character and sort of this culture of misfits because it's not just Napoleon Dynamite. Everyone in his world is a little off. In some way, and it's very endearing, and they don't have to sell it to you because everyone gets that. Everyone gets feeling like an outsider. You don't have to have Napoleon go, you know. I wish I was cool. <laughs> you know? It's like, wow, what? A, how that? How bad would that have ruined the movie? Why don't people like me? His complete, you know, it's such a complete oblivious nature to that, and how real that is. Those are my high school friends. That was me. Yeah, and we have known Napoleon Dynamites. We have known Napoleon Dynamites or been them to some degree. You know, you've been Napoleon and to some degree you've known people who were Napoleon. But you get that. You don't need him to break character and step away and say anything. I think that's what a lot of these guys do. And I, when, I, when I bag on Kevin Smith, I think he's real bad about this. And I think some of these other movies – are not as bad, but they do it where they feel that need to take a step aside and speak directly to the audience, to break character and step out of the story. Something we we nerds used to call metagaming in the role playing games. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. <laughs> Yikes! See, I don't I don't even know what that is. That's that's a role playing game thing. Just to just to show you, get deep into my pathology, but. Uh, it's where you make the character know something that you as the player know. Then in the context of the game, you wouldn't know. And I think that's what these guys do. That's meta storytelling. Because they, they have the character. For those of you who don't understand the subtext of what I'm saying, because I'm not layering it cleverly enough, let me just go ahead and make my point outright in the dialogue. Whether it fits or not. 
I think that meta storytelling happens all the time. And I don't think it's as bad in stuff like Super Bad because it's always fun. It's always funny. They never break to the point where you're like, what's going on? <laughs> like, it's embarrassing to watch kind of stuff. And some movies do become embarrassing when they have a, a, def, a defined agenda halfway through that doesn't really seem to meet the story that they sold us on. But I like those movies pretty good. I really, I think one thing you suffer from in, because uh, I did, this happened to me in 40 Year Old Virgin. And I think it's happening to you on this is if you wait till the video, it's not just the fact that you're seeing the longer version. I think it's also got a lot to do with the fact that you've heard all this hype. It's not like, yeah, that's true. I don't think the movie is, has been hyped up as far as how, you know, how high people are saying, you know, hyping it up to be like how big, but it's just for so long. You've heard it now. People are like, oh yeah, super bad is awesome. It's like no one's saying it's not the same guy coming back and going, man. You know, I was just thinking about the other day how awesome Superbad is. It was, it was awesome. But you're hearing different people see it at later times, and like, yeah, I just saw Superbad. It was pretty awesome. And I think that's the Blair Witch syndrome. When Blair Witch came out, everyone, you know, like me who saw it when it first came out, were like, that movie's so scary. And after like a year of hearing that, you watch it and you're like, just banging rocks around i don't even understand and you're seeing it on the small screen with the lights on you miss some of it there's something to be said and i i'm not a big one necessarily to go see comedies in the theater because to me they hold up it's not a, it's not an epic sort of experience but it is more fun if you can see it with a packed house because you get more out of it like i, I enjoyed juno that way because because the audience seemed to really get something out of it and hot rod was that way and a lot of people that are my age are liking Hot Rod, too, which is, I think, it sort of was written with younger people in mind, but it, it it panders to us, too. Some of the stuff they make fun of, the younger kids don't even understand. Yeah, this may be the... And it's the Andy Samberg guy. He's funny. This may be the real crux of the problem I have with these, these movies, is that I, I, I feel old when I watch them, because I'm like, that's not that's not how I felt when I was that age at all. I just don't relate to it. Were we that vulgar when we were that young? Well, I I relate to it. I don't think I felt that way. I don't remember being. I honestly, I think I relate to Napoleon Dynamite because I do remember being somewhat oblivious in high school. Yeah, I wasn't oblivious. Like I didn't have any concept of my social standing. Like I wasn't cool in that way. But I remember not really caring about much of anything in high school because I even then, you know, you I didn't feel like I was going to go off and make history, but I never felt like. I was peaking. Yeah. I never felt like I oh, always Lord. felt like I'm ready for the next thing, not bigger and better things like for the world. But I'm like, you know, I'm going to college. I knew that in high school. I'm like, I'm going to move. I'm still living with my parents. I got a lot of life left in me. Man, that's the the worst thing anyone has ever said that I can think of off the top of my head is that high school is the best days of your life. That there is nothing that could be less true for me. Yeah, I for anybody, even even popular kids. If that's the best it gets. Uh, having said it out loud, now that I think about it, imagine that the best lives years of your life were actually spent while you were still at home, before you even moved away from home and got your own place to live. Yeah, that's you no peaked. way, man. That's supposed to be leading into your life beginning. That shouldn't be like the best thing that ever happened to you. Hopefully you'll enjoy it. There's no reason not to. But I think high school really is more like a rite of passage. High school isn't supposed to make you miserable, but it, it is supposed to It's supposed to be difficult. You, there's a lot of social decisions and a lot of social education that you're getting in high school. 
and then hopefully you'll apply that when you get to start your life somewhere. But your life hasn't started if you haven't left your, your home. If you still live under someone else's roof, that's not much of a life to look back on and go, that was the greatest when I didn't have to pay for rent or bills or food. <laughs> Jeez, I wish I could crawl right back into the womb. Here's this new thing. Because that's what that's saying, to want to go back to There's high school. There's a new thing that, that people are talking about. I can't remember what they're calling it. But in, in essence, it said men are uh, prolonged adolescents, maybe. I can't forget what it's called, but that men aren't growing up like they used to, I guess. Uh, apparently in the old days, you'd just get married and settle down at 18 and get a job in a factory and that'd be it. But now they're saying that guys well into their 30s are still living at their parents and doing that kind of, you know, young person stuff. I am guilty of this to some extent. I don't live at my parents' house, obviously, but I do still play video games. I I do that kind of stuff. I still pick up yeah. the occasional action figure at the store. If I'm like, oh, cool, they remade the <laughs> Snake Eyes. All right, I'll pick it up. You know, so I do stuff that would, I'm sure, ashamed deeply, ashamed any person that that wanted to look <laughs> at me as an adult. They're like, no way. But but that's a new trend, and it's it's big enough that they've that other people are talking about it. But I think in your case, you are purchasing the right to do that though by making your own way. I think where it becomes a problem is where people go out, and this I see a lot. I've seen this in people I know, where they go out into the world, and they don't like the world, and then they go back home to their parents. Like, when was – that's an option? When did when did that happen where you could just decide that you don't want to be a grown-up anymore and go back home until you, quote-unquote, figure things out? I'm sure that that's a lot dependent on your parents. That's where they should work as a team because those parents really need to be, there's got to be a good cop and a bad cop. You can't you can't want the kid back. I know I wouldn't. I, I, I like it when I have a roommate and the roommate moves out. <laughs> that's what I, I can imagine if you're a parent and your child moves out, it must be like that times a thousand. The feeling that you get like, oh, awesome, the house. We have the house again. Underwear days are coming back. I wonder, it makes you wonder if there is something to our generation, something wrong. Because that's kind of the Kevin Smith thing and clerks. These guys are still working at the convenience store. He's probably still living at home. They don't show that I remember where he lives. But in the first movie, he was still living at home. Yeah. And sleeping in his closet for some reason that I don't understand. <laughs> Tom yeah, Drunk are you that you're sleeping sense. in the closet? I'm such a slacker that I sleep in a closet. Because I can't find the too bed. lazy to make it to the bed. Yeah, that's the stuff I don't relate to. I think really it comes down to comfort and prosperity. Like our generation, it's just, you know, like right now, my house that I live in that I just bought is a three bedroom house. And it feels like it was built for one person because as a person in the 21st century, I have accrued so much junk and so much stuff that I take up a three bedroom house. That was at one time built with with a family of four in mind, and I'm like, oh well, I've got the junk room. I don't know what I'm going to do with all that stuff. I have, I don't have room for things. Why do people my age still buy toys? What is wrong with me? Because <laughs> the toys are cooler. Any of our listeners out there, like a uh, a psychiatrist or something? Because I can't afford to pay you. I can barely afford the toys. These things are like six bucks a pop. <laughs> yeah, I kind of kind of blew it all on action figures. <laughs> yeah. But one day I'm going to sell these and make a fortune on my dolls. I don't know. I don't think it's that weird. I think 
the reason it feels weird is because there are there's not 50 years of history to action figures but i remember you know people for for as long as anyone can remember collected dolls and antique dolls and porcelain dolls and those are toys or started out as as were and that was a collectible something but action figures are newer and i don't think people are accepting them as much but i think in about you know 20 to 50 years of a couple of generations well, I'll, I'll feel much better then when i'm when i'm 90 and looking at it I'll yeah be, you won't be a weirdo but you know it does feel like you're a weirdo when you're in the store aisle and you just like make that that detour down your past pet food and you're like well i'm over here on this side anyway i'll just go ahead and take a <laughs> stroll down and then <laughs> it is sort of a walk of shame there's like some you know country mom in there with her five-year-old or something and she looks at you like dear god i hope you're buying for your son <laughs> like shut up i am i'm buying for my nephew <laughs> Shut yeah. up. You're up at the counter. It's like, I'll take this 24 pack of, yeah. of uh, condoms and the uh, maxi pads yeah. and, and this extra. Thing. And they, they, they start throwing it in the bag. You're like, whoa, 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 careful. <laughs> Don't bend the card. Yeah. <laughs> You're bending the original blister. Oh, my God. You don't get it at all. I can say, though, much as I enjoy that kind of stuff, but I'm, I'm not one of those, like, original packaging kind of guys. I do, like, I don't buy that stuff, but not because I'm cooler than it, but I, I ran out of space. I don't I don't have anywhere to display a bunch of toys, even in my new house, so I don't buy more things to just put somewhere. But even when I had them, I took them out of the package. And I, yeah, I play with them, you know. Can I embarrass myself a little more mentioning that I occasionally pick up toys? Is that, is that, is that bad? It's for my nephew. I mean, <laughs> me and my brother, even, even when we were younger, we used to pretend we had a kid brother, Zeke. <laughs> That's what <laughs> Zeke. we were buying them for Zeke. Uh, he always likes saying stuff out loud. Oh, I think Zeke will like this one. <laughs> yeah, really? Does Zeke, does Zeke have Boba Fett? <laughs> yeah, really? I don't know. I think Zeke has that Boba Fett, but Zeke needs another one to put on the wall. Yeah, Zeke wants one in the original packaging because he's a nerd. It's becoming more acceptable to be nerdy, but I still think toys have, they've not crossed over yet. Like comics have and other stuff. Well, I think if you own comics, you can bag them up, box them up, put it in a closet and go on. But if people yeah. come over, it's sort of like, it's sort of like a 40 year old virgin where the girl's coming to pick them up and they're all like, she's coming here. <laughs> yeah, poor guy. You know, that's messed up. You can't, you can't ever come in here and see your doll of the, uh, the $6 million man's <laughs> boss. When did people start collecting things? I mean, I know people collected art, I guess in antiquity, but I'm sure people didn't collect common everyday things like, like toys that, and even comic books and stuff. It, it, that didn't start till the sixties. I don't think 30, 40 years after they were out. That's why it's so hard to find early ones and baseball cards and all that stuff. Same way. I wonder when someone should do a sociological study on this and maybe there is one I, I don't know about, but I wonder when collecting became such a big part of our culture because it's huge hoarding and why. It seems to me, though, there is a psychological element because... Well, I'm sure there is. That's what I'm curious about. People go through phases where they collect a lot of junk, but it used to be, I think, the mentality was when you had, a, like, the garage sale or the swap meet mentality, or even when I was a kid where you were trading comics, trading cards got their name that way, and nobody trades cards anymore, you know what I mean? They, they acquire them and they keep them. And somewhere along the line, it, it became not a hobby, and it became obsessive. And I wonder what the psychological component of that is. We need to look at the Beanie Baby thing. To me, that would make a fascinating documentary. Because you, you remember Beanie Babies. Yeah, following collectors of things. 
like especially Beanie Babies, because it didn't even seem like it was anything. I guess for those of you that are a little younger and not nerdy and don't know this stuff, Beanie Babies was a weird, kind of a weird phenomenon because nerds like myself have collected comics and baseball cards. I was huge into baseball cards as a kid. I've collected that stuff all my life. But Beanie Babies was a weird phenomenon because uh, I, I was used to kids collecting comics. But Beanie Babies are, I'm sure you've seen them. They're like these little plush toys, uh, little six inch tall kind of plush animals. And they're, they are cute. They're, they're nice little toys. But for some reason, they became really, really hot and collectible. So hot in a marketing sort of way and collectible with like housewives, older ladies, and they started hoarding these things and the values just shot through the roof. And of course, they weren't real values, but these speculative values were insane for some of these things. I remember they had like a princess dye bear that they put out and that thing was like hundreds and hundreds of dollars that people were paying on eBay, which was pretty new at the time. eBay was still really young and other things like that. And it was this strange thing to watch from the outside because yet again, so I was asking myself, is this what it looks like when I'm buying baseball cards from people? Is, is that what other people look at it and go, why is he buying that baseball, that piece of cardboard for $20? But you're not paying hundreds and hundreds. This is something that baffles me, even as a collector. Well, no, but if I were rich, I might have, you know, if I were rich, I might have, who knows? I'm just saying that at any rate, um, it was a strange ph phenomenon to watch because these housewives are just going insane over these Little Beanie Babies in the market, it was in the news, it was everywhere, it was this huge thing. And then, of course, inevitably, as, as we all could have told, any comic book fan or baseball card fan could have told them, it completely collapsed. Because I, eventually they all realized that, you know, we don't really like these things that much. And these things have no actual real value. And there's millions of them out there. And then they flood the market with them. The only value was in, was in this perceived value that people had. Was in acquiring them immediately. That's speculation always drives the market and does it in, in a false way. Yeah. Our, our local, uh, I'm a big thrift store visitor, of course. I always have been. Our local thrift store, the one right next to my house, has a huge rack of Beanie Babies. I mean, just piles and piles of them. And they all have their tags and everything still. To think that at one time these things were valuable, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. I, I think that. An economist should make a, a documentary about this because, you know, this is really what happened with the housing bubble. It is the exact same thing. It's speculation in the housing market. People are buying up houses thinking this house is going to be worth, you know, three times what I paid for it in six months. And that's exactly why people bought Beanie Babies. It's like, do you really want that house? Do you plan on living in that house? No, no, I'm going to flip it in six months and make a ton of money. Do you really like this Beanie Baby? No, I don't care about it at all, but I'm going to sell it and put my kids through college. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll put my kids through college is sort of the, the pie in the sky, man. Pie in the sky economics is, is one of the most dangerous things that happens to us, especially in, in, a, in, a comedy, in, in an economy like ours where there is so much money. I mean, not that everyone's rich and not that no one is poor because, you know, neither of those things are true. But there is so much disposable income being floated around. And I think as opposed to other countries in this world, in this world as opposed to other worlds. <laughs> but I think like on this planet, I don't know how it works on Venus. But uh, I think the, the problem is that – and I think it's the culture. You have people who don't actually have a lot of income – still spending up 
a lot of disposable income, still finding a way to spend money even if they don't really have money. That's the credit card culture. You're giving, you're loaning people money, and that's where the housing thing really, that's what really happened with that too. It wasn't just speculators buying the houses thinking they're going to flip them, but it was also these adjustable rate loans. You know, people were buying houses for themselves to live in that they couldn't actually afford. Yeah, well, the the whole reasoning behind why they thought that would work, which was ridiculous and it boggles my mind that it, that this wasn't obvious to anyone that has any kind of economic background because I knew this and I have no background. But the idea was that the prices would continue to rise, so it wouldn't matter if they wouldn't be able to afford it or not because they could still sell it and make enough money to pay back the mortgage, no matter how high the rates went, because houses were going to continuously rise forever. By their by their arguing, my house, which I bought last year, would be in if it doubled in value every year, say. Which and there were houses that were more than doubling in value in a year, which is insane. That mean in like fifty years, this house would be a three billion dollar house or something. I mean, <laughs> just mathematically, if you exponentially yeah, you double, you have to recognize a window like that as an economic mirage, if you have any sense at all. Because how is the price going to go up? Because you were you're overstepping the demand with huge amounts of supply. You're you're overmeeting the demand. It's madness. And that's what happened with the Beanie Babies. I'm telling you, we should do a. Uh, I wish I, I wish I had the uh, ability to be a producer or something and green light things. Just grab somebody, go make a documentary about this, because I'd like to see a documentary. About I wish that. I had the time. It's a, it's not expensive to make a documentary. It's a matter of time. There's all kinds of things that I would really like to get into this further. It makes me glad to have this show because at least sometimes we can just talk about it. <laughs> like you know, it'd be interesting to do, and then I'll we. Well, but the three of us talk about it for an hour. That's my compliment. Every episode, we give the fans something that they can do to become rich and famous. I know. I, I really do believe that. Every episode. This is what I'm saying this episode. Go make a documentary about Beanie Babies and how it's a parable for our housing crisis now. And, and somebody will pick that up if you do it well. Because it's an interesting thing. This, this whole idea of speculation. And I, I got into this kind of a tangent off the toy thing because that's huge in the... And the toy world, of course, people, there are literally people that will go, I don't want to nerd out too much here. I'm going to nerd alert. We got it. But um, there are people that they call them scalpers that will go into a, a store and buy up all the action figures and then drive straight home and put them on eBay and just hope that they'll make an extra dollar on each one. I don't understand how they can possibly profit off this. Oh, well, I think I'm not sure if we talked about anything at all tonight but I, I feel feel good that we, we discuss some things we're waxing philosophic on a bunch of uh, meaningless topics for I, you I do think this is something that bears more more discussion maybe not by us necessarily but I think that's something people should look into because I think when you talk about America and what America is where America comes from and what that culture is being being a young country as we are I think that's the one thing that does separate us <clears throat> that does separate us from the rest of the world where which is not just our need but our ability to acquire things and all the stuff we have. Yeah, we're consumers. I sometimes think that, that that's our whole di the dividing point between us and the rest of the world is that we get the most toys, literally. We're a consumer society i think there's i don't think there from my understanding there's ever been a consumer society at least not to the degree that we are like our entire economy is built on 
constantly consuming. And if to the point where they have to give us economic stimulus packages, if we even think about slowing down our consumption, much less stopping it. <laughs> it's all, yeah, consumption is probably, we're consumers we, uh, in every conceivable way. I don't know how we got here. I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, we are hitting up our fans <laughs> with some madness tonight. This is I like this. This is like the six the six degrees of Kevin Baconisms or whatever from super bad to the economy. Yeah, we should call this episode "Why Super Bad is Super Bad for the Economy." <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Let's do that. I thought we were talking about entertainment issues. Isn't that what the uh, the thing says at the very beginning? This is. I'm glad this happened when Greg was gone. He'd be like, "You tell me the time I left. You guys start talking about politics." <laughs> yeah, that's and, true. And, and the economy. The one I was here last week and we talked about junk. Man, that's he's right. gonna be mad. How Step- fun! Well, that'll teach him. That'll teach him to go out that'll and have be- dinner with his wife on Valentine's Day. <laughs> no good deed goes unpunished. Oh well, it'd be worth it just for that. All right, well, it's time for us to leave. Uh, feedback at TV Eight My Dinner. That's the email. Give us your theories. I'd love to hear your theory of why the economy is is faulty. What pop culture icon destroyed the American economy in your in your minds? So, um, email us feedback at TV Eight My Dinner. Check out tv8mydinner.com. That's where all the episodes are for the ones that you haven't heard. I'd like for more people to go check out some of the... We have a little thing that tells us, and I don't think it's accurate, but it tells us how many downloads each episode has. And episode one and two have a ton of downloads. And then the last the last six or seven episodes have a, a pretty good amount, too. But there's this big space in between where there's none, hardly. And some of my favorite episodes are in there, like the... Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a donut hole in our listenership that would basically constitute a donut that looked like a rubber band. So what I want you guys <laughs> like to do... The, the rim is very tiny. What I want you guys to do is I want you to go download the Beatdowns episode... And my particular favorite is the Action Rock episode. That one's one of the, the ones we have that has the very fewest listens, and it's my favorite episode, Action Rock. So go go find that on the website. Download it. Just If, if you don't like it, I'm sorry, but but I, I think yeah, it, I thought it was I, fun. I think didn't I get a little chance, we get a little chance to sing in that episode. Yeah, you, you can hear Sean sing a little bit. That's, that's, that's always worth the price of admission right there, since the price is zero. So, exactly. That's worth exactly nothing. So, check that out. Practically. Check out darkcrazy.com. Check out gregstarks.com. Learn a little bit more about how you can become a member of the Starkey Army. Always recruiting scuttlebutts. That's his MySpace motto. YouTube.com slash darkcrazytv. Is that right? I, I can never remember that. I know that's the trouble we're having with everybody. (laughs) They they walk away from the show. I'll check out all those sites and then they forget. Well, all right. And uh, that about wraps it up. Uh, Next week, we will be talking about time travel. We will get to the time travel episode. We're we're saving that for Greg. We've been talking about it. It's going to be an epic now. It better be, right? People are looking forward to it or looking backwards to it. Because, well, we've been building up to it for like a month. It better be our best show ever. Well, it's going to be a good one because how can you not have fun with time travel? We're going to discuss the possibility of actual time travel because I happen to know a little bit about a real time machine, but we'll get into that next week. Yeah, I dig that. So until then, my name is Brooks. I'm Sean. And uh, we'll talk to you later. Dog 
I mean, I'm already pregnant, so what other kind of shenanigans can I get into?